3: Winner.
4: Hello and welcome to the Autosport Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Kalanorkas. Formula 1 finally returns with this weekend's Austrian Grand Prix, but it's not the only series that will be running at the Red Bull Ring. That's because the support race series Formula 2 and Formula 3 are also starting their 2020 seasons, as is the Porsche Supercup. F2 and F3 are run by the same organisation, which is headed by Bruno Michel. So, for this episode of the Autosport Podcast, which is the latest in our Thinking Forward series, Motorsport Network President James Allen spoke to Michelle about how his championships have been impacted by the coronavirus pandemic. They discussed what they are doing to try and make sure the next Charles Leclerc and George Russells do not have their careers disrupted by the pandemic. We hope you enjoy the interview.
0: Well, Bruno, thank you so much for making the time for us today for this hashtag Thinking Forward series. Obviously, we've been speaking to leaders from across the sport throughout this coronavirus crisis. And mercifully, it looks now as though we're very close to finally uh, getting racing again. It's obviously been a huge challenge to figure out how to stage international motor races with different countries having different attitudes. But how important is it for the sport to get going again behind closed doors, just as a bridge to getting back to normal again?
2: I think it was completely vital. Uh, It's more than important because uh, uh, we were in a situation where you know specifically specifically for our business uh, uh, if the team don't race they have no revenue and if they have no revenue there's a big risk then they, that they are going to collapse uh, so the fact that we are able to go back racing even if it's behind closed door and we're quite sorry about that and I think everybody is but uh, uh, that's a fact now that we have to live with for the next 2 months uh it was absolutely vital and, uh, and we are very, very happy to go back. You know, everybody's going back to Austria in the next two days and we're very happy to go back there. Uh, uh, I think uh, it's important to show that we're still around. I think it's important because people want to see some images of motor racing now and they haven't seen or they have seen virtual images for the last uh, few months. And to have some real images, I think it's quite important, and the fans are all expecting that. So, yes, it's very, very important.
0: We'll come on to talk about Formula 2 and Formula 3 specifically in a moment, but just, obviously you've been in, in racing a long time. You're a very experienced leader. I just would love to know your view on the participation of manufacturers in, in top-level motorsport in the future. Obviously, the rationale has always been there to invest because they, they benefit from the technology and the, and the marketing. But do you think that the level of investments will inevitably reduce short term but do you think they'll return over the period of time?
2: Well, it's difficult to say because we've been in a through a period of what we can call easily a disruption. Uh you know, things have happened that uh, nobody were, was expecting at all. Uh Obviously, uh, the fact that uh, we have not been able to do anything for a few months uh, changed quite a lot of things. Uh, Then uh, uh, we all know that the economic situation is going to be quite uh, tough in the next few months and maybe next year and the next few years as well. Uh, So how is everybody going to end up uh, at the end of this whole crisis is quite difficult to say for the moment, but as you said in the short term, for sure, budgets are going to be lower. Uh, uh, and we are going to have to live with that in the short term. I think in the long term, uh, motor racing is still going to be for the manufacturer a very, very important uh, uh, way of uh, uh, showing uh, their technology and showing their products and showing their involvement. So I don't think uh, they will uh, uh, cut completely their presence into motor racing. But on the other hand, it will be probably thought in a different way. And that's what... That's the challenge we all have in front of us uh, for the next years,
1: Bruno. If we can rewind to the middle of March, Formula Two and Formula Three were testing in Bahrain when the, the lockdown happens. How hard was it for you there yeah, managing that, that situation as you know the world literally changed
2: overnight? Uh, it was it was quite difficult to uh, to manage because as as you said, we were testing in Bahrain. We left all our material in Bahrain, ready to go racing a couple of weeks after uh, some. Teams, because there were, there were starting to be some, you know, uh, information that uh, that could be some issues. So some teams decided to pack their stuff. Others did not. Uh, so we had on top of that, this kind of issue that we had to deal with. And then arrived the weekend of uh, Australia, which was a back-to-back with Bahrain, where everything happened and suddenly it stopped. So um, we had to deal with that, uh, which was number one, to uh, tell the teams that uh, there was no more racing and uh, that there was no more racing for the moment and until further notice. And number two, that uh, all the uh, uh, cars and uh, team's material and everything were stuck in Bahrain. So we had to organize uh, that uh, things were sent back. But in the meantime, some teams had to send back some uh, mechanics to be able to pack uh, and by the way, some of the mechanics that uh, were sent by some of the teams into Bahrain were uh, tested positive with the COVID when they arrived in Bahrain. So the whole thing was quite complicated. To put Just a very simple thing started to be quite complicated as well. And finally, because there were no more planes, uh, we had to ship uh, the, all the material uh, back to, uh, to Europe which arrived uh, uh, end of uh, May, which was not an issue anyway because nothing was happening. But that's, that's the way things started for us.
1: You moved quite quickly after the, the lockdown to protect the teams. You, um, you know, stopped demanding invoices. You spoke to suppliers and stuff. How essential was that, were your actions there to secure the future of the, the, the teams and the championship?
2: Uh, it, was, it was completely key, both uh, economically and also psychologically, I would say. Uh, economically, it was quite obvious, uh, the teams were not going to receive any revenues because as I said, when they're not racing, they're not getting revenues. Uh, and uh, uh, so we knew that we had uh, to, to do something about it. Uh, so immediately I started to get in touch with the teams to tell them that they didn't have to worry about that. I discussed that with uh, Chase and with Ross uh, first. Uh, and then uh, we, I, told, I passed the information to the teams that, uh, until further notice, we were freezing absolutely every invoice, uh, past and future, because there were past invoices and contractual invoices that were supposed to arrive uh, during those periods. So, of course, we forced them as well. Uh, So, uh, financially, it was a relief for the teams and it allowed them to start to look at how they were going to get organized for the next two or three months with the personnel, even if they were putting the personnel in furlough or not. Uh, or in vacation, or, you know, everybody had a different way of dealing with it. And uh, in the same time, uh, yeah, as I explained to you, I got in touch with our major suppliers. They all agreed with that. They all understood how important it was. And when I say also psychologically, it's because obviously the teams needed to have an idea that uh, uh, we, not we knew where we were going because nobody knew at that time, but at least that uh, there was a pilot in the plane and that uh, we were not, they were just not left over with that. A crisis that nobody was expecting and nobody was uh, uh, imagining how how long and how complicated it was going to be. So that's the other thing. It's not only the money issue, but it's the fact that I kept the teams and we did uh, you know a few team principal meetings uh, through Zoom. And otherwise I was talking to the teams almost every day uh, to keep them in the loop of uh, what I thought was going to happen. Even if, you know, what you thought was going to happen in April was different than what you thought in May, and is different from what is the situation now, but just for them to understand that they were not left alone.
0: How long do you think things could have been on hold before it started to become a real problem, Bruno?
2: If we had not announced uh, a few weeks ago that we were going back racing for, in the summer with eight events, uh, I think it would have become quite difficult for the teams. Let's say that they were in a situation that was quite bizarre because on one hand, they didn't get any revenue. On the other hand, they had almost no costs because uh, they had put most of their employees in furlough. Uh, They didn't have to pay uh, F2 or F3 for anything. Uh, So it was a quite bizarre situation, but the main thing was to, make sure that they were kept in a situation where everybody could resume when we were saying, okay, let's go back racing, which means that they they should not have lost their drivers. And that was also a very important thing. So the drivers needed also to be kept in the loop of what was going to happen because they also had issues with their own sponsors. And so they had to pass the information. They should not have lost any employees. That's the other thing as well. So let's say that the two or three months were acceptable, it would have lasted the whole season. Uh, I have no idea who would have survived at the end of the season.
0: Obviously the good news is that racing is back this weekend, as you say. Do you think that this compressed season with closed-door events will be enough to to stabilize the, the situation?
2: It's, it's a good start, let's put it that way. And we're all expecting that uh, the second part of the season is going to happen as well. Uh, we don't know yet where, and you don't know, we don't know yet when, but we should not finish the season with only eight events, uh, with, um, with the F3 and with F2. Uh, so yeah, it's, uh, uh, you know, now it's a way to go forward, but it's not the end of the problems, for sure. What effect do you think this
1: crisis will have on Formula Two and Formula Three? Because heading into last winter, we had a full Formula Three grid, You had to expand the F2 grid because there was so much interest that it was booming and now we've had this what we call spanner in the works.
2: Uh, Yeah, (laughs) let's say that this season was uh, presenting itself as the best season we had for many years. Uh, And as you said, it was quite amazing because most of the drivers were signed before the end of 2019. Uh, whether for F2 and whether for F3, we, as you said, you in, we increased the number of teams in F2 because we had a lot of demand, and it was—it's always the same. I have demands from additional teams, but I'm not—I will—I'm uh, doing it only when I know that the drivers' market is good enough to uh, to accept uh, a new team. So that was the case as well. Otherwise, uh, you know. Uh, Sometimes when when we opened F3, I could have taken uh, 10, 12 teams, 15 teams, but that would not have made any sense in terms of a a number of drivers. So we need always to be careful with that. So now what is going to be the situation? Obviously, uh, it's going to be difficult. Uh, uh, We need to monitor quite carefully this season how things are going to happen because some drivers uh, might have uh, some uh, sponsorship issues for sure. Uh, I would say the teams are not only relying on the on the drivers' budgets, but it's also a very important uh, part of their budget. Um, and then for the future, yes, we need very, very, very probably to rethink quite a lot of things to try to cut our costs like Formula One has been doing it. Uh, let's say that uh, for us, it's different because it's something that we've had already. In our uh, organization, the number of people are are, uh, are counted and uh, limited. Uh, uh, we pay a lot of attention on the cost of the car, on the cost of the spare parts, on the cost of uh, of everything. But we need, obviously, to uh, to think things probably differently in the future. So, so for sure, uh, uh, this uh, crisis is going to be. Uh, uh, I would say, uh, uh, an alarm call for everybody and to say now, okay, let's, let's have a look at what we're doing and not hiding always behind what uh, I he- I've heard about uh, Formula One billions of times, which is, no, this is the DNA. We cannot change it. If we change it, it's not Formula One anymore. We're going to have the same issues in F2 and in F3. And let's say that the product that we have now, I think uh, is was working quite well, but might not work well in the future
0: it's very interesting that Bruno I mean we can drill down into that a little bit more because the other thing the other factor here is that I think not only was it working well but I think it's generally accepted there's a lot more attention more spotlight on Formula 2 and Formula 3 and part of the reason for that obviously is because in the last few years you've produced a lot of very exciting young drivers who've come into Formula 1 and have really grabbed the attention now and We'll come on to talk about esports in a minute and the way that the drivers have been able to, to relate to the fans. There's, this, there's, this, there's, a, there's a real excitement and a momentum behind these, this young driver pipeline. So your decisions, in a way, on, on making sure you have the best young drivers coming through and that, it's, that the costing structure is right are, are really critical, aren't they? Because there is so much attention on it now.
2: Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. Uh, We've been helped a lot by the fact that for the last two or three years, we had some fantastic drivers arriving from Formula 2 or from GP2 uh, into uh, Formula 1. I would say that, um, you know, I've been through some years uh, with GP2 where people were telling me, oh, it's difficult because you need to be experienced to win the series and, you know, and I've always answered the same thing. When you have the right driver... You have the right result. And if you look at the drivers who won in rookies in F2 or in GP2, <laughs> they've all been proving inc- incredibly strong in Formula 1 after that. Uh, so uh, we were, I would say, somehow quite lucky to get uh, uh, Charles Leclerc, George Russell. Uh, uh, and then uh, last year, uh, the three drivers that got to, uh, uh, to F1. Uh, uh, it's, been, it's been quite amazing. We're not the only responsible for that. Let's put it that way. We have to give them a product that allows them, number one, uh, to be able to show uh, how strong they are. So we need to have a, a car that is quite highly performing uh, and at a minimal cost. And number two, we have to have great racing, which is something that we always have. Uh, so this is something that we should be very careful about. But on the other hand, uh, I don't think it's the format itself that made those drivers uh, arriving to F1, is the drivers themselves. And we had some absolutely outstanding drivers over the last years.
0: A lot of people have talked about the the need to consolidate uh, junior championships if they're to th- thrive in the post-crisis world. I mean, we've talked with uh, across this series with a number of leaders about the, the notion of consolidation. Obviously, motorsport has been a very fragmented landscape, and one would expect that Let's say the series that have underlying health issues, um, a bit like the human beings, would not necessarily survive the crisis. But we have this quite clearly defined pathway now, um, career pathway to Formula One. What's your feeling around the, the consolidation around that sort of around that space?
2: Uh, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a quite uh, funny feeling because uh, we started GP two in two thousand and five, and then GP three, I think, uh, two years after, three years after, two thousand and eight. Uh, over the last uh, 15 years, there's been many, many series uh, trying to come into the junior category uh, business. Uh, and at the end of the day, uh, a lot of them arrived and disappeared. Uh, it took a little bit of time. Uh, but that's the way it happened. So as you say, some survived and we did and some other did not. Uh, what also so, big, and I think the reason for that is, is not we were better than the others. Is that we had a specific way of paying attention to things and to make sure that uh, uh, we were we knew what was going on with the teams and were quite close to the teams and we knew what were the problems. Uh, when we had the crisis in 2008, we knew what we had to do to try to help the teams to go through this crisis, and that's something we did when when some other categories could not or did not do that. Uh, so. We've been through this process, and I would say the, the, the end and the, the sherry on the cake has been to become the official FIA uh, feeder uh, category when GP2 became F2, and then when GP3 and F3 merged to to, to become the, uh, the new FIA Formula 3 championship. So now things are quite clear, uh, and it's more all the levels under uh, uh, those two categories that are being now into reshuffling and reorganization. Uh, but um, the pyramid is working quite clearly, I would say at the moment. And also the FIA is making things in certain way for the obtention the of the super license or the license points and stuff like this, to make sure that the drivers should go through this pyramid to be able to arrive to F1. Uh, the idea is to train drivers for F1. It's always the same. We have to produce a show. We have to have nice races, but we have to have the best drivers coming to F1. We have to make sure that the best drivers are actually coming to F1, whether they have a budget issue or not. That's uh, something that is very important. And the other thing is that uh, we have to make sure that they are ready for F1 when they get there. And I think uh, our track record over the last years has, proved, has proven that it's, it's the case.
1: Bruno, it's not just FIA who are supportive of Formula 2 and Formula 3. Liberty Media are also very keen on it and want it to be very strong as a, a platform for the future. How encouraged are you by their approach? and Do you sense there's a chance that you know, we can get back to the strength we had last winter, uh, maybe the next two years or three years once this crisis has
2: passed? It's been uh, they've been incredibly supportive, and from the very beginning. Because I remember when uh, Chase arrived, I had started to have discussions with him very, very early about uh, 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 the situation and uh, and uh, and the way I was running the business and the way I thought things should happen in the future. And I must say that I have this feeling now that over the last two or three years, uh, F two and F three uh, have become. Uh, completely strategic for the Formula One group. Uh, uh, Not only because we're bringing drivers to Formula One, but also because when we come to an event, uh, we're creating a a fantastic uh, uh, event. We're helping them to create a fantastic event. And we've got between F2 and F3, four races a weekend, uh, uh, two uh, uh, sprint races, uh, reverse grid, a lot of things that we've been experiencing that F1 is always interested to watch. Uh, uh tire compounds uh, you know there are a lot of things that we're doing and that f1 is very very interested in and we're talking uh now very very uh uh often with formula one people and not only with chase and with ross but also with with pat uh, simmons on uh on technical uh, side with uh, uh, steve nixon on steve Nison on sporting side to compare what we're doing so that we can give them an update on what we're doing and uh, things and they can also give us also information what they're doing. The other thing as well is that uh, over the last two or three years, um, not only uh, the uh, TV broadcasters have increased and the TV viewers have increased quite massively for Formula 2 and Formula 3, uh, which is also because the show is very interesting, but also we had uh, quite small presence on social media and uh, and, and with the arrival of uh, Liberty, for sure, that changed a lot. And now we are doing many, many things that we were not doing in the past. Uh, so it's it's quite pleasant and it's quite reassuring for us and for our teams as well.
1: One other thing that's changed the last few months is the, the rise of eSports. It's been a, been a boom during the lockdown. We've had no real racing. How much have you followed that progress? And has it changed your perception at all for eSports and where... Formula 2 and Formula 3 can fit in with this?
2: Yeah, yeah. Uh, I found it fantastic, and and it was a surprise. I completely agree. Uh, We we started to have an agreement with Codemaster uh, two years ago to be in the Formula 1 game, in the carrier mode, so it was quite interesting because the players could play with the F2 cars before getting to Formula 1, so I think it was something quite nice. But I did not imagine that... This started something that was going to be much bigger than that and uh, when we uh, started to have so this confinement and and that formula one started to discuss about that i had a discussion with alexa and said you know we got to do it as well let's see how we can do it let's see how much it costs let's see how we can get organized and we discussed also with formula one to see how we could fit into their program because it was important that we were doing exactly on eSport the same thing that we were doing on the real weekend, uh, which was to be the support category for, uh, for Formula One. And, uh, and then we turned to the teams and the drivers uh, to say, you know, we have 20 slots, uh, who wants to uh, do it? And out of the 52 drivers, everybody wanted to, wanted to do it. You know, it was quite amazing. Uh, because also they are completely in the segment young they're all playing they all uh uh, it was something that was you could see that some formula one drivers were not so interested in it all our drivers were absolutely and they all they were all extremely good uh so so we started to do those races and i watched them and i didn't know what to expect and i must say i was absolutely amazed you you're thrilled in front of your TV, you forget that it's not a real racing. And, uh, uh, and I would say all the races we did were, were very, very entertaining. It's interesting what you say, isn't it? Because your age
0: profile really does lend itself. And, and I think, obviously, as, as we go through the years, uh, more and more, that will be the case that drivers will arrive having done quite a lot of SIM work and SIM driving and, and esports and stuff. But I think the other great opportunity that's been opened up by this. Um, this lockdown period, if you like, is the way the drivers can relate to the audiences. And as you know, building a profile for a driver at this early stage, the F3, F2 car- stage of their career, is really important, isn't it? Um, what do you think about the way that, that people like Leclerc and Norris have, have related to fans on Twitch and, the, and, and the, 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 the amount that it's been able to build their profiles?
2: I think it's absolutely fantastic. Uh, I completely agree. They, this was quite unexpected as well, but they, they really, really have been able to get in touch and to, 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 to play with the fans and, uh, and, and to give them the opportunity to be also very much involved in these uh, uh, in uh, races. And for us, it's the same. We know that we have a fan base that is quite young, is younger than Formula One. That's some things that uh, we learned also over the years. Uh, which is quite interesting because uh, uh, for Formula One to know that uh, F2 and F3 has a fan base starting earlier than the one of Formula One is quite good, and obviously uh, uh, for our drivers to be able to liaise yes, with their fans, to uh, that we could see some cameras in their home and see them playing with the simulators, and uh, and then they, we had we had interviews with that, and they were on Twitch, as you said, and and, and they were it was something that was quite unexpected. And I must say, for instance, I never heard of Twitch before we started to, uh, to do eSports. And I don't know if you guys did, but for me, it was something completely new. Uh, so I'm sure there are things like this that we don't know because we're too old and, uh, and that exist and that are appearing in periods like this and that everybody wants to be on. Uh, so yes, it's, it's also what I said about the fact that you know, what we're doing with the social media now is completely different from what we were doing in the past. And, and of course, what we're doing on Twitter, what we're doing on Instagram, what we're doing on Facebook, is completely different than the, the old rules where we were having a TV broadcasting and that was about all. And that's also fan connection. Uh, it's also completely related to the fact that uh, young fans are not consuming images the same way as we used to do it when we were watching Formula One races uh, some times ago. It's all changed. And it's... Very, very interesting, but it's uh, it's hard to get also to be also always on the uh, uh, to know exactly what's going on all the time.
1: Bruno, before the the coronavirus crisis, the world was moving towards where sport needed a sense of purpose. We had issues of sustainability, issues of accessibility for people. Now we're coming out of lockdown and, and back to a, a new normal. Do you think these issues will now get accelerated? A lot more that they'll, they'll be at the forefront of all sports, and do you think that would include categories like Formula Two and Formula Three?
2: Uh, I really hope that there will be some definite changes that will last after uh, the virus, and we don't know if the virus is already gone or not at the moment, anyway. But I'm I really hope that some some habits are going to change, and uh, and when we're talking already in our way of working, uh, working from home, is something that is quite obvious uh, today for everybody. Of course, you cannot do a, a race weekend from home. After that, on the activity itself, sustainability is something that we absolutely need to continue working on. And at the moment, we're working on a, on, a, on a quite big project with F2 and F3 that I cannot really talk for the moment because it's a little bit too early, but we are trying to uh, achieve uh, some, some, some new levels on the, on, on the, on the sustainability. Uh, issue. Uh, we're talking about diversity as well, for instance, which are the kind of things that at the moment are being completely focused on. And I must say that uh, if you look at uh, the diversity of the drivers in Formula 2 and Formula 3 over the last 10 years, uh, we, have, we have drivers from all over the world almost every year. Because we have more drivers, because it's maybe easier, but uh, it's something that we are all, we've always been quite proud of. And it's something that we want to try to develop. Gender. Uh, we had uh, last year uh, one female driver in Formula Two. We have only one in the three this year, but that's something that we need to work on as well. So there are a lot of things, and we're not going to forget them. And I think we really all need to do something like this, because otherwise, we are going to be, we're not going to be in line with our time. And uh, we need to be very careful with that. Well, Bruno,
0: we've taken enough of your time. Thank you so much. You've got to get ready to geared up to get yourself out to Austria. So all the very best with your restart. And uh, we'll be watching the races. And thank you very much again for taking the time to speak to us today for this hashtag Thinking Forward series.
2: Well, thank you very much. And uh, you know, we hope that uh, we will still continue to provide good uh, good racing in the very near future. And uh, we're ready to go back to Australia. Now. And uh, let's hope it's going to be everything fine.
4: Well, I hope you enjoyed the latest in our Thinking Forward series, and thanks to Bruno and James for their time. Tell us what you think of these shows on our social media channels using the handle at Autosport. And if you're enjoying the series, we'd love you to share it with someone who would also like it. Before we go, we'd just like to remind you that as of today, Autosport magazine is back after a short break due to the impact of the pandemic, and it's available on the supermarket shelves and in newsagents. There'll be a new issue for you to pick up every Thursday from now on, packed full of news, analysis and the usual stunning photography. And of course, if you want unlimited access to Autosport from the comfort of your home or wherever you go on your mobile device, visit autosport.com plus to find out how to subscribe to our digital package. We'll be back soon with another episode of the Autosport Podcast. Music is 6am by Trilo, written by Marcus Simmons. See soundcloud.com slash trilomusic.